Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. So you start recording. Anyway, okay, once again, focus. <laughs> Today, well, I'm doing sound and this at the same time. Today is Palm Sunday. And the week is about the, transform, the transformative processes that we go through, essentially, sometimes on a daily basis. It is the beginning of Holy Week. And when I started to prepare today's lesson, I thought, how should I approach this whole thing? Should I take a traditional approach, a historical approach, a metaphysical approach? I mean, which one is right? Maybe, maybe one is, maybe the other is, maybe they both are, maybe neither is. Now I say that because when it's all said and done, these are all human interpretations and everything goes through what we call the human filter. And the human filter is our limited perspective. That's the truth. In communications class at the village, they told us, challenge the congregation. Get them out of their comfort zone. I said, I think I can do that. <laughs> so put on your seatbelt and uh, let's get going. Today I want to look at the Palm Sunday from the angle, from all of those angles, from the traditional angle, from the metaphysical angle, and lastly, and perhaps the most pertinent of all, from the angle of the practical. What do the events of, these, of this week have to do with our daily lives? What is the connection? Because before the week is out, we're gonna have a story of a crucifixion and we're gonna have a story of a resurrection. It's a two-part story. And that's how pretty much all things work in this 3D universe. It's a yin and yang, it's a give and take. And from a practical sense, you might ask, well, what is the connection between a crucifixion and a resurrection. Metaphorically, and metaphors be with you. Thank you, Sister Kate, for that little button. <laughs> Metaphorically, it represents the breathing in and breathing out, the give and take of things. Historically speaking, these particularly events represent an extreme example, but it is an example, nevertheless, of how things work. At the end, I'm gonna show you a short little video, like two and a half minutes or something, that hopefully will demonstrate that to you. It's something that I've always been captivated by, the idea, and it's, and it's not theory, it's not something we're looking at. It's something right here in the natural world that shows us a, a process of transformation right before our eyes, and the thought always captivated me. I said, you know what, I wanna add this to the, to the lesson, so I'm gonna do that. There's a saying, if you keep on doing things the way you've always done them, then you're going to keep on getting things that you always got. And spiritually speaking, that means if you keep on reading these events the way you've always read them, the way you've always understood them, then you're going to continue to understand them the way you always understood them. Now, what is the underlying connection there between those two statements? And it is stagnation, the status quo. And when I did my last uh, the 10th speech at uh, Toastmasters, 
It said, inspire your audience. That was one of the, mess, the, the theme. And one of them said, challenge the status quo. So here we go again. So is the same old, same old how things work around here? I don't think so. And Jesus didn't either because he told us to repent. And remember what repent means. It doesn't mean to say, I'm sorry for doing that. It means to change. It means to change direction, change the way you see things, to transform. Charles Fillmore did us a wonderful favor. Charles Fillmore is the co-founder of Unity. He did us a wonderful favor. He opened up a door into a new way of seeing Christianity. But he did not intend for us to pull up a lazy boy recliner and become metaphysical couch potatoes. That's not what he wanted to do. He wanted us to keep moving forward and opening, opening up other doors for people. So let's look at this whole story from the traditional angle first. Now before I get started, I want to remind you again, you know, I've told you before that I have done a lot of studying on the early Christian movement. A lot of it from the scholastic point of view because you get an unbiased objective, as much as you can anyway, uh, point of view. And I want you to remind you that historically we don't know much about this, these things, these events. Because the stories were handed down orally. That, that was a tradition. And that happened for a couple of generations before they were written down, number one. And number two is that we don't have any of the original material. I'm not sure if you realize that. We have zero of the original manuscripts. What we have are copies of copies of copies. That's what we have. So who knows what took place with them? So scholars can only speculate as to what may actually have happened and what maybe did not happen. Well, let's talk about the crucifixion, for example. Did it actually take place? It's very likely that it did. And I'll tell you why. Because it was a very common practice in the Roman Empire at that time for dealing with criminals and would-be troublemakers. Was the crucifixion God's plan for eradicating the sins of the world and making amends for, amends for mankind? As some eventually, and I say eventually, because that was not the thought of the time, some eventually came to believe, and we've been told, well, that's another story. Or was it simply because Jesus was a political insurgent? He was. And such things were not tolerated in the Roman Empire, especially not, especially not during this week. Now, why not especially during this week? What's so special about this week? Well, as I've said before, I don't think we understand some events sometimes because we look at them through 21st century eyes. And that's not what was happening. That doesn't give you the proper perspective on it. You need to try to find a way to get into the environment, into the vibration that was happening at the time so that you could understand these stories. And I'm going to try to do that today. So I want to use your power of imagination and take you to the mental movies and try to picture this if you can. So this is Holy Week for, uh, for the Christian community. But... The people in the Bible that we are talking about, they're not Christians. They are Jews. 
All of them are Jews, except for the Romans. They weren't celebrating Holy Week. They weren't celebrating a crucifixion and a resurrection. They were celebrating the Passover feast. That's what they were celebrating. Who knows what the Passover feast is? Some of you do. And I'm, I'm not talking about being familiar with it. I'm talking, can you explain it to somebody? <laughs> that kind of familiar with it. Well, let me read what it, what it is. Passover is an important, biblically derived Jewish holiday. Jews celebrate Passover as a commemoration of their liberation by God from slavery in ancient Egypt and their freedom as a nation under the leadership of Moses. It commemorates the story of the Exodus as described in the Hebrew Bible, in which the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt. In the narrative of the Exodus, the Bible tells us that God helped the children of Israel from their slavery in Egypt by inflicting 10 plagues upon the ancient Egyptians before the Pharaoh would release his Israelite slaves. The 10th and the worst plague was the death of the Egyptian firstborn. Ah, there's that firstborn child thing again. Recurring themes, you see them all the time. The Israelites were instructed to mark the doorposts on top of the door of their homes with the blood of a slaughtered lamb. And upon seeing this, the spirit of the Lord or angel of death or whatever you want to call it, different translation, knew to pass over that home. Hence the English name Passover. When the Pharaoh freed the Israelites, it is said that they were left in such a hurry that they could not wait for bread enough, long enough for the dough to rise. Leaven, in commemoration for the duration of Passover, no leavened bread is eaten, for which reason Passover is called the fe festival of the unleavened bread in the Torah, the Old Testament. Thus flat bread is eaten during Passover and it is a tradition of the holiday. That's Passover. That's what these people were celebrating. It's a Jewish holiday. But you know, if you're a stickler for listening to things and you like to put things together, you can see some practices and some beliefs in there that are, all, that are taken into the Christian faith. First of all, we have a hands-on God because he's inflicting plagues on people. Then we have the blood of a slaughtered spring lamb, overcoming death. Aha, interesting idea. There's the breaking of bread, another common thing. And of course, the general story of the liberation and setting up of a new kingdom, which is called apocalypticism that I've told you about before. So the Passover feast was what was being celebrated for the Jewish community all over. And what would happen would be Jews from all over the diaspora of, of, of the kingdom would come to Jerusalem during this event. And so you would literally have a couple of hundred thousand Jews coming into Jerusalem. I'm trying to set the events here. I want you to get a feel for what's happening. So you got a couple of hundred thousand 
Jewish people coming into Jerusalem, and you've got maybe 10,000 Roman soldiers, maybe, let's say. Crowd control is a primary concern for the governor, Pontius Pilate. So you have a scenario in which the Romans are outnumbered 10 to 1 or more. Then you have this guy Jesus coming into town who is believed to be the Messiah. And that's a cause for concern as well. Now keep in mind that at the time of these events, the people did not see Jesus as God. They saw him as the Messiah. That's different. The Messiah is the anointed one, the king, the new king of the Jews who was going to come and overthrow the oppressive Roman Empire. So three things here. You've got the Jews outnumbering the Romans big time. You've got them celebrating an event in which they were liberated from an oppressive society before. So they got that, yeah, we did it once, we can do it again mentality. And then they got Jesus coming in, who is the new guy who's going to overthrow the Romans. Now, how do you think this all sits in with the Romans? Not too well. Not too well at all. It was a direct, uh, it was a, a direct threat to the Roman authority. So the tolerance was zero for anyone or anything that would disrupt things. Now that scenario looks very different from the one that we're normally used to. I'm supposed to challenge you. That's what I'm doing you today. Scholars, all this is scholars putting two and two together. So it could very well be that Jesus was crucified because of being a political insurgent. But the problem is that the, what we have been told is only one side of the story. It is a side coming from people who have a certain perspective, a certain point of view. So once again, the belief that Jesus died for the sins of the world was not an original belief. That came up much later, decades later. For tradition, Jesus suffered and died on the cross, and God had a plan. He needed a plan to have a human sacrifice in order to make amends with man. And not just any human sacrifice, but the sacrifice of his only son, which in effect was himself. I find this stuff fascinating. Now, do you know why? Continue with the tradition. It is because the human disobedience, the sin that was created, this is what the thought is. The sin that was created against God was so grave that no man, no person could rectify it. Only God could. So God had to take the form of a human in order to sacrifice essentially himself to himself to forgive man. It's a very unbelievable story, an outrageous story that we have been told and we have bought. And really, it's, uh, to me, it's rather disturbing if that's really what it really was. But it wasn't. That is not what was happening at all. But enough of that. 
Let's move on. For unity, whether an event actually took place in the Bible or didn't take place, it's not a deal breaker. It doesn't really matter. What we're trying to get to is what is the story that the, what is the message that the story is trying to convey to us? That is what we're trying to get to. So scholars tell us that all this could have very well happened, but metaphorically. Let's look at it from the metaphorical point of view. I think I'm, every time I say metaphorical, I'm going to have you all say, metaphors be with you. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay, so metaphorically, Jesus represents the mature awareness of our divine nature. Jerusalem is the abiding consciousness of inter, inner peace. Our spiritual home, if you will, that silence that lives within us. So Jesus is writing our divine awareness, the human divine awareness is coming into this realization and writing into this place of inner peace. Okay? And Jesus comes riding on a donkey. The donkey represents meekness, humility, and a willingness to, to surrender to the divine nature. Now, according to folklore of the time, a king who rode into a place on a donkey came in peace and in triumph. In contrast, when a king rode a horse, he rode in there for war. So this is very symbolic. The story then says that the people lined the streets with palms, and the palms symbolize victory and triumph once again. And the palms also represent spiritual strength, receptivity, and enthusiasm. The crowds, we know metaphysically what crowds are, they're thoughts, a lot of thoughts. So the crowds represents the, the multitude of material thoughts within our minds that are waiting to be raised into a higher consciousness and they seek the presence of that divine expression that they see before them in the form of Jesus. The Hosannas, it says, are the spiritual chants that rise, that raise us from sense consciousness. It is the willingness to surrender to the higher energy, the flow of life, the chi that dwells within us. Once Jesus comes into this inner peace, into Jerusalem, he quickly drives out the money exchangers from the temple. This represents the cleansing of our error thoughts. So you see where all this is going. In short, the trip to Jerusalem, to the inner peace, that inner sanction within, represents our readiness to crucify our temptation to ideas and thoughts that no longer serve us. The underlying message of this week is one that we see over and over and over. What we say in unity, change your mind, change your world. The old is continuously 
continually, I should say, making way for the new. The story is that every time one door opens, I'm sorry, every time one door closes, another one opens. The message of this entire week is that life is eternal and there is always a new. And it's no coincidence perhaps that it was done, that all this happened during spring when as Lynn said in her meditation that we are reminded of this continuously. So in conclusion, let me repeat from a previous question. What is, in what sense does the story of a crucifixion and a resurrection have any significance to our daily lives? Well, in every sense, really, because we continually experience crucifixions and resurrections all the time. Sometimes they're little, sometimes they're big. For example, what if you were a student and, and you take an exam and you, and, you, and you get an F? Well, that's like a crucifixion of sorts. That's what it used to feel like when I was in school and I'd, I'd make an F and say, well, what happened? <laughs> and, but, but, it, wait, but it serves to wake you and say, I've got to apply myself. I've got to get my act together. And then you, and then you bear down and then you go to the next exam and then you get an A. Well, that's a resurrection of sorts. Suppose you have a job that you really love and all of a sudden the boss comes along and says, you know what, I'm gonna have to let you go now because you know, there's just not enough work or whatever. Well, that certainly would feel like a crucifixion and you could take it that way and you can dwell in that crucifixion all you want or you can get yourself up and keep moving and look forward to the resurrection and it will come because that's the message. That's how things work. Even death, that's what Jesus said, even death can be overcome. So we repeat, these events happen to us all the time. Small, big, a divorce, whatever it is. They happen to us all the time. The question is, can you overcome, can you look beyond the crucifixion towards the resurrection? And the answer is, of course you can, because that's what's inside of you, and you will press on. Metaphors be with you. Metaphors be with you. So while we uh, prepare ourselves for our, our, our gifts and offerings, I want to do another thing. I want to show a short video. It doesn't, have any, it doesn't need sound or anything. Uh, and I want to bring uh, a couple of people up uh, because we have been doing the, uh, the membership from last time. And Nina and Tom had been busy. They're trying to sell their home in Austin and a lot of things. And they're here today and I want to present them with their membership certificates. Yay, come up here.
as I said, this is a very short little two minute something little video and it's amazing process. What takes place to a, a caterpillar, something that crawls on the ground in a, in a metaphorical way. What? Thank you. <laughs> in a metaphorical way, a creature that crawls on the ground, who is grounded to the earth, becomes a creature that flies. And maybe that's the symbolism of, of this whole week, that we are liberated and we spring our, 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 our wings. It, it's a wonderful metaphor. And there it is, right before us. Nature is showing us. Long time ago, I had, an, I had a thought that said, if you want to know the creator, know the creation. That's what occurred to me. That's one of my sayings. You can put it on the thing you want. <laughs> because if you look around, it's trying to tell you what's happening. It is. That's just like your body is trying to tell you how to heal yourself and things like that. So pay attention. And that's just an amazing thing. Go ahead and start. Sure. Let's take our offerings and our tithes in our hands. And together we say, Divine love through me blesses and multiplies all that I am, all that I have, all that I give, and all that I receive. Everything I see, everything I do, is blessed by your hand. 